Marketing, entrepreneurship, and all things small business. You're listening to the Profit 911 Podcast. Now, here's your host, Justin Miller. All right, welcome to the podcast. We are at episode number 10 already. Just, I didn't know if it would make it this far, Kevin, but... <laughs> we did. We survived. We're strong. We're, doing, we're going strong. We have not given up yet. Uh, this one's a cool one because we're all the way to 10 and this is the first one we're having a guest on. But let me uh, back up a little and, and tell you about the topic a little bit. So every time I go consult with someone right now, without exception, they're having staffing problems. Like they cannot find the right people. They're scared to get rid of the wrong people because they don't know if they can replace them. And, you know, the labor market's tight. If, if you listen to the news, they're going to tell you that as well. But, but people are seeing it. You know, profit margins are down. Labor market's tight. And it leads me to the question of what do we really have to do? What can we outsource? What needs done and what doesn't need done? So I have an expert for us. Uh, our expert is Brian Durkin. He is a personal friend of mine, but also he's an author, business owner, and just knows a ton about this specific topic. So, Brian, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be your first live guest. And, of course, like we said, if it's a laptop lifestyle, I'm doing this outside. So, uh, happy to happy to show. I'm sorry it's cold in the, in the Quad Cities, but... It's uh, 78 sunny in here in beautiful southwest Florida here in Naples. So. Yeah, so we're recording in Illinois, and our snow's almost melted off, but it certainly doesn't look like what I'm seeing on your screen. Mm-mm, no. <laughs> well, yeah, I, had, I, I had to wear pants this weekend. I want to let you know that I had to put the shorts away for a couple days. So, Well, this is a news desk. You never know what's below here, but I digress. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Brian, do you want to give a little more of your formal background and bio and, and more specifically yeah. why I consider you an expert in this? Yeah, what have we talked about that, that led me to you'd be the first call for this topic of what can we outsource? Yeah, so um, so the, one of the reasons is um, I was a business owner. I built and sold a business. It's actually about 12 years ago now. I built and sold an IT company where we were doing document. We were called a document service bureau where we were scanning and coding documents into the cloud before there was a cloud. I started that business in 1997, sold it in 2004. And what ended up happening was that our business really got stuck because if you do document coding, it's a fancy word for data entry. And um, so we had a choice between doing it in New Jersey or New York or Pennsylvania. Um, And then eventually I found a, a business partner at a trade show and said, hey, listen, would you consider letting me do it for you? And I was like, you got to be crazy. The floors are dirt. Like there's no windows in the place. Like everyone, they're all kids working. Right. And what I found out was that they were college educated people, um, had a class A office space, had multiple data centers for their data. And and then basically it allowed me to look at how do I take care of this so-called purchasing power parity or a fancy word of if it costs $5 to do something in New Jersey, I can get it done for 25 cents. So I would just give it to my clients and say, listen, I get it. I understand there's a, a, a perceived stigma for this because at that time in the late 90s, early 2000s, wholesale jobs were being shoveled up, packaged, and shipped to India or wherever else. And so a lot of friends and colleagues lost their jobs because of it. But as a small business owner, I didn't have access to those resources, right? So and as a result, we grew the business from literally two people, four people. And within 18 months, I had 24 people, 25 people in the U.S. And I had a remote staff of about 200. It peaked at 226. Um, and we were rolling right along, and that's how our business really grew. So it really opened our eyes to just basically data entry, work that nobody wanted to do, right? Nobody that nobody had knew how to do it. So they, I, I basically partnered with companies that learned how to do that. 
and, and, and after having a chance to, to sell that, sell that business, when I moved, I became a marketing strategy consultant. So I, we would sit down with a client much like you do and, and we would go, okay, how do we, we came up with this great strategy and I would go, well, who do you got to do it? And, and I would look over my shoulder and they would go, well, don't you do it? I'm just like, it's just me. Um, so for the better part of 10 years, I would just go and basically build the requirements, find out what they needed to do and buy, and find a team to do it. And um, the crazy thing is, is that you can get stuff done in days, not weeks. Um, it generally, the, the people you find want to work with you and want to treat you like a customer instead of a boss. Um, and then as a business owner, you only pay for success, right? So if they don't do it right, you don't pay them. I know it's kind of brutal, but you, you can be more of a, a little bit more ruthless to use a term that someone we know uh, talks about doing, but also do it in a, in a caring way. You don't have to be terrible about doing it. Um, but so that's how I got started. So it was literally like I literally met someone and um, we were very fortunate that at, at the time we didn't know it, but everything in our business was systemized. Imagine getting boxes of paper and trying to figure out how do I, if I, how do I pull out 2000 pieces of paper? How do I make sure 2000 pieces of paper go through the scanner? And how do I make sure 2000 pieces of paper get put back into the database? No so way. Were, were you physically system. shipping stuff overseas? Cause when I think outsourcing, no, I think of service. No. Okay. So, so those were being scanned in the U S no, and then so, overseas so, dealt with. So yeah. So the business model was that they scan the pieces of paper in the U S either on site at a customer site. Uh, for example, in the state of New Jersey, we had papers that they just couldn't let leave premises because they were, you know, parts of other stuff. So we would send teams of people in to prep and scan, or we would send physical pickup trucks. And we had customers from uh, Virginia to Boston as far west as Chicago area. So we serviced a pretty big marketplace, um, and we serviced a lot of the, we were in the litigation support business. We did a lot of work of department levels of Fortune 500 companies where they would go and buy a bunch of equipment and then figure out they need a bunch of people to do the work. And they were like, this people thing is bad. I don't have the money for all these people. Um, so that's how that got started. And, um, but we would then send just the paper documents. Had, I, I had a T1 line, dedicated T1 line in an old abandoned chicken coop that we had converted to class A office space. Right. So we were, we were just those, we were as crazy as everyone. Hey, and hey, we were chicken coops are coming back so around we just, here right now. You were just ahead of the curve. <laughs> There we go. And honestly, we, I tell you what, we had the nicest chicken coop in New Jersey. You know, we had generator backups. We had, we had two different T1 lines coming in and out. Um, you know, so we, we, our generator in one case was actually an old gas generator that we ran out of power and I went and bought one and we were running within 20 minutes or something like that. But, uh, but I digress. But yeah, so I always looked at how do we, you know, using that e, the, the E-Myth concept from Michael Gerber, how do you build systems around your business? And then how can you basically take the things that you and I should be doing that are real high value and work on them. And then the little stuff that either that you shouldn't be doing, just ignore, but the stuff that should be getting done, have someone else do it for much less cost. And then how do you train them? Right. How, and that's the biggest, that's the biggest frustration is, you know, if it's something that's done on a regular basis, how do you train them? Right. So, you know, that's the idea. So that's so, how I got started and I've written a, I've written a couple books about it. My first book talked about how I use systems to build and scrub my business. And my next book uh, called Power Hitting with Virtual Teams is actually the really the understanding how can all of us take advantage of these resources to do stuff that we know needs to get done, but just isn't getting done. So you've done this with hundreds of people and we're, I'm going to make you digest it down to do it with, you know, one or two for those people that aren't familiar with it. But, but you mentioned one thing that I want to dig into right off the bat. And, you know, that's like the elephant in the room 
are we are we losing people's jobs? You know, because when people hear outsourcing that aren't familiar with this, it's like, okay, how can the greedy corporation pocket more money? That, that's that's what the general public hears here. So, and I hear that all the time. And so, there's there's two aspects to it. One is if you look at our consumer products, right? That manufacturing base has left our country. And that's going to continue to happen because of the cost of labor. So the, the big bad outsourcing, I think, is not. It's actually helping the small and mid-sized business owner do a lot of the stuff that they need to get done by people that want to do it instead of don't want to do it. And then let you focus and love on the, the ones that you that are close to your business that are key and allow you to pay them more, train them more, and provide more value to your customers. And here's the way. You know, I kind of look at it in my business because I have some uh, overseas people working. The bottom line is that job doesn't exist if I have to do it here in the office. Like it wouldn't exist. We, right. we couldn't pay it. So right, exactly. the spinoff work does create more work here, uh, but the core function of the job, we, we just couldn't bring in-house. So Yeah, yeah I, I'll give you, I'll share you, I'll share you one example of that. I have a client just talked to yesterday that they, um, they have a, a perceived, they have an issue with like following up on customers getting an invoice and they've been talking about having a, a resource to call their customers to make sure that the invoices are received so it doesn't mess up payment. But it's been on the plan for three years and nobody's doing it. So we're just going to have a person for, you know, $30 a day going to be following up on those invoices. And it's finally going to, you know, the idea is to bring that dollar forward and, you know, keep their business moving. So the cash flow cycle goes from 65 days to 45 days or whatever it is. Right. So, um, it's one of those things that just never got done that they, they know they need to, but couldn't figure out how to do it cost effectively. And now they have a chance to do that cost effectively. Cool. Cool. And one of the other things, so I talk a lot about automation. We talk about it a lot in this podcast, just cause it's, it's my area. Right. Um, and, and there's some crossover between automation and outsourcing. So how do we know what tasks in a business are appropriate to outsource versus automate? So I love automation as well, right? I use that in my own business and how I, you know, acquire and nurture clients as well. Automation is, in my mind, is what are the things that are repeatable and predictable and consistent so that there's, and the, the, and the thought process behind it is minimal. You can build a rule. If this happens, then you do that. If this happens, then you do that. If, if it requires more than two or three if then probably a person needs to make that decision. And I think that's where you're going to want to have a partner to understand that, right? So if you want to send, let's just say two emails and a person replies, what are you going to do about it? Someone's got to look at it, right? So if the process is every morning, look at the replies from our automations of our emails that got sent and they're in three different buckets. What do we do? What happens with bucket one, bucket two and bucket three? Because one might be customer service, one might be a sales question and one could be a delivery question it would be hard to automate those responses. So certainly in that case, you know, you'd have a, you could have a person babysitting that, you know, sometimes we call it artificial, artificial intelligence. <laughs> you know, that's the way doing it. Sometimes there's artificial, artificial intelligence in the office too. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, um, let's suck people in here a little bit with some specific examples of cost because people that haven't, outsourced, especially internationally, have no idea what the value is or, or what a fair price to pay is. Can you give examples of a yep. couple of different hires you've made and, and what you've offered for a pay range on that? 
Yeah. So, um, so I have two right now I have two, uh, full, well, one part-time, one full-time, uh, virtual assistants that do general work. One is focused on recruiting. We're doing some, we're helping out a client recruit salespeople. So we're paying her, uh, $4 an hour for contract work for 20 hours a week. Um, so a typical recruiter in the U S makes about 60,000, about $60,000. So that's what about $30 an hour. So that's a little bit more than 10% rule. Um, and then I have a general VA who just does research for me and does follow-ups and basically tries to keep me organized. Doesn't always succeed, but she does her best and tries. And, um, I pay her $75 a week. She gets paid $300 a month for a full-time job. She works at home and, um, she is a, she's a mom, has a seven-year-old son. And her, basically, the reason why she wants to work at home is because she wants to spend more time with her kids. And um, she's in the, both of those are in the Philippines. So every every region has different pay rates because they have different costs of living. So um, she is making, for $300 a month, she's making the equivalent of a middle school teacher in the United States. And she's probably got a buying power of about $35,000 a year. That's about what her buying power is. So if you give you an idea of $3,600 a year versus $35,000, that's about even... Um, with what they do. Um, for example, in the Philippines, a physician makes about a thousand dollars a month. Wow! So it's just, when you try to crunch those numbers, it is that's that's a crazy, crazy spread. Where thirty six hundred is equivalent to thirty five k here. Because at first, when you first hear those numbers, you think, "Wow, am I getting any kind of quality for that kind of money?" That was the first thing I thought about. Because Justin and I have talked yep. about this kind of thing before. Um, in my business and automation is one thing. Cause when I bought your business, the DJ business and the photo booth business, automation was new to me. Outsourcing was new to me. I was a guy who worked in radio and I did all my own gigs. And if I had a guy that did some weekend stuff for me, I just cut him a check and that was it. So the outsourcing to me, um, initially I, I can see a lot of small business owners thinking, well, what kind of quality am I getting for that kind of money? But when, if you're explaining it in that way, where it really is in her home country, She's making a real nice middle middle class wage. So well, yeah, and actually, the, the interest and every part every part of the world is different, right? So, but in that case, the Philippines, that's what it is. Um, quality is also tied to our ability to tell them what the beginning of the project looks like, what mm-hmm. the middle, and what the end is, right? If they don't know what they're being measured against, and you expect them to generally just here's a task and go figure it out, you're going to not be very happy. You're going to not be happy with the results. Those are higher paid positions. Those are experts. So in Justin's business, that he's a developer or someone doing some specific gate-based work, they're responsible for doing the thinking. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. But if they're responsible for the problem-solving process, uh, you're going to pay them a little bit more. But that's what they're going to do. But for these types of general, like, got to just do the position stuff, uh, if you if you are willing and able to spend some time training them, you can get good product. Now, is it perfect all the time? No, it's not perfect all the time. But is it is it perfect 80% of the time? Probably. Um, will you be surprised a lot? Yes. Um, will you be annoyed sometimes? Absolutely. Uh, when I had staff, I had a few people that, you know, I, I couldn't wait for them to mess up so I could get rid of them. And um, now, you know, it's just me. I don't, my business is myself and my brains and not necessarily my team anymore. Um, so I, I look, I look, I enjoy that part of it because, you know, we just want to, we're an output based society now. So we just want to know what did you do for me? Like lately, if he just did not intend, did you finish it? It wasn't done right. Yep. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about where to find people, things to be careful for, and my favorite weird things that can be outsourced. Be right back. And now, now back to the Profit Nine One One podcast. 
with your host, Justin Miller. All right, we're back with special guest Brian Durkin. We're talking about outsourcing for your small business and can it be outsourced. Got a pretty brief background to general pricing guidelines and an idea of what can be outsourced. Um, Let's dig in real quick. Let's talk about gig-based work versus remote hires, because I think this is where some people, they get this idea, they get excited about it, and they try and implement, and I think this is a major breakdown for a lot of people. Yep, that's a great question, right? So gig, a great place to get a gig is like Fiverr, right? You go to Fiverr.com, and you can get a logo made for $5, or you can get a a talking head video or something done, where it's a really small project, and a Fiverr in the UK is just a five-pound note, so it's something simple. And it's really, they're, they're really those micro projects, right? And those can be interesting and good. And that's a good, that's a good place to start. So if you want, you know, a one page website design done, or you want a simple graphic built or a simple infographic, you know, where you have limited input to those customers, those gigs can be great, right? Is that what you're talking about? Like for that, that type of yep. stuff? Or yeah, you exactly. Stuff? Yep. So, so I have an then, example too this the, morning. The next evolution. Go ahead. So this morning, our, our phone system was broken, and I just wanted it fixed, right? I, did, I didn't care who fixed it. I didn't care where they were at. Um, I did care how much it cost because we don't get a ton of calls, so we could wait a little longer. <laughs> but uh, what did I do? I went on Fiverr. I went on Upwork. I figured out who was online right now and had the expertise I needed and started saying, hey, 25 bucks for what should be a five-minute fix, which, if, you know, from our discussion here, that's a fortune, right? Um, but I'm paying for right. immediacy in that point. Um, but that's gig-based, yep. right? That's not the same as a remote hire. Talk about, you know, kind of what a remote hire is. Yeah, so remote hires tend to be um, part, at least part-time or full-time positions. So I call it remote hire. So they're basically an extension of your staff and it's your job to keep them going all the time. Uh, different parts of the world, uh, for example, India, they do more, a lot of times they do more gig based work because they're trying to get the maximum dollar amount. Places like the Philippines, basically places like Eastern Europe, they generally, because of their culture, are more interested in long-term relationships. So they're willing to take a little less per hour and, and be able to work in a home, in a remote home environment and do, do more of that stuff. And in fact, in the Philippines, uh, which has been, I've been doing a lot of work there over the last two years because of their culture. And, and it's got a, there's always unemployment issues and typhoons and brownouts and all kinds of stuff. They, they tend to be more uh, long-term remote based. And there are a bit of a challenge as an employer because you got to keep them busy all the time. Right. And if they're not busy all the time, you have to be okay with just paying them and letting them know, Hey, listen, I get it. I haven't given you any work, but I'm still, I'm still giving you a paycheck. So, uh, because they get really worried that, you know, think about their job. They're working for someone they've never met. They probably have never spoken to. They've only talked over chat and email and their livelihood is based upon some nut like me or you in another part of the world paying them on Tuesday or Wednesday because sometimes I'm late. But, um, <laughs> so it's just a matter of, uh, of doing that. But gigs are great. In fact, just before our call, I'm doing some virtual 3D stuff for a client. And we needed to get some Photoshop fixed, and I and, and as of in twenty minutes, I have two bids to get the work done. So, um, and it's like a real specialty; they have to do some kind of three hundred and sixty image, and just put it out on Upwork. Great site for that type of gigs, right? Putting beginning, middle, end. Just put a price up what you think it should be, and they the market will tell you whether you're crazy or they will tell you if you are paying too much. Do they tell you if you're paying too much? Because we've had discussions with some other people that, in my opinion and yours, were drastically overpaying, but they had no idea. How do we know? 
Yeah, because they got a hundred. You get a ton of responses. That's how you know. So if you say if you get a project and say you were willing to pay twenty five dollars, and if you had put two hundred fifty dollars, you would have had a hundred responses. Sixty of them might have been for a guy who was a a civil engineer, not a phone engineer. Um, but you know you have to be careful of that. But uh, yeah, you would have gotten more responses. Uh, the more you pay, the more they're interested in the work because if if we're if their market rate says you know seven dollars an hour in India is middle class, and that's you know ten dollars an hour in India is upper middle class, right? So um, it's just a, it's a different that purchasing power, right? They don't have cars, but they have everything else but, but automobiles because they cost hard cash. So let's give some people some real meat here. So where to find people for this? So we mentioned a couple, right? So, so, yep. So Upwork is a great place for gigs, a really good place for gigs. You'll find a very broad uh, basis. Actually, a lot of U.S.-based people there uh, that want to do work, and you can select if you want to work with U.S.-based. Good place to start. Culture and communications is always harder. Uh, Freelancer is another up-and-coming, uh, or not up-and-coming, it's been around for a long time a very robust community. And, and you can tell now that uh, Upwork changed their fee structure about three months ago. And a lot of people wanted to change. Uh, and then the third one I use for kind of a global uh, type of work like that is people per hour is another site that people use um, for gig type stuff. And then um, for the more general places to find really good resources, uh, my two favorites are uh, hiremymom.com where you get an opportunity to work with people that want to stay at home. Um, actually interviewed the, uh, the founder of that. They did a great program, really works out good. Uh, and then on, onlinejobs.ph is the largest, uh, onlinejobs.ph is the largest employment database for the Filipino workforce. There are other ones too. Uh, and there are a lot of aggregators, people like you or me, Justin, that would, you know, find someone and, and mark them up and sell them and become a middleman. And that also is a, a an opportunity for a lot of people because they're afraid of the management, right? People, and you know, you know, Pam, you know, my wife, she doesn't want anything to do with dealing with someone remote. So she's happy to pay an intermediary uh, to help to be that conduit for communications and, and making sure stuff gets done. Good point. So let's give a, a few quick hits, things to be careful for. And, and I'm, most of these things are probably learned from your experience. Cause that's the way I learn them. You know, we, we screw them up once or twice and start to figure it out after that. Um, but what are some of the big no, no's or red flags to look out for? So in your job ads, always put what I call a red herring, make them answer a question, make them follow an instruction, make them tell you what they had for lunch favorite car, who they want to have lunch with, because if they can't read your job ad, you're probably not going to be happy with their results. So always put in something that they unique have to tell you. Absolutely. Um, I very, very rarely use the lowest bid. I will put a budget and tell people this is a budget that I just made up. And I will tell them, feel free, I could be completely wrong. But um, I very rarely use the lowest ones because they tend to be more desperate and they're, quali- they're more interested in getting paid than doing quality work. Um, and that's a big you know, you have to be careful of that. But some people I know will take the lowest and, and hire and expect to hire four people to get something done. Right. So, um, but I tend to, I tend to try not to, I, I don't want to, I want to do it right the first time and I'll spend a little bit more time doing it up front. So those are really a couple things to be careful of because and if it burns, if you make a mistake, don't beat yourself up because if you hire someone for a dollar 75 an hour and they work for 20 hours, you're out $35. You know, it's, it's, it's Starbucks for a week. Well, that's a really good point is that you could make a mistake or two and not crush your business. I mean, it's something that you can Absolutely. try and experiment. 
I don't know. That would that yeah, would scare me away work. less to try it than it would be if I'm like, oh, if it doesn't work, I can't ever do this again. Yeah, and a gig based, I've you know, if, if speed is of the essence, I've hired multiple people for the same thing and just considered the cost of getting it done. You know, assuming one's going right. to screw it up or one's yeah. going to do great. And the other, the last caveat with that is, you you should definitely start small when you're doing this for the first time. Start with a small task. If it's formatting an Excel reports or you know, getting your calendar organized or, you know, finding, doing something, don't be afraid to start small because you, you need to be doing it consistently, right? You need to spend time helping them be successful, not just throwing it over the fence and hoping they do it right, right? So, so another one I want you to address because we have offline ourselves is pay advances, request for raises, um, you told me that these can be red flags and massive no-nos, whereas in the States, if it's a staff member, this, you know, we might hear this every once in a while. Yeah. So the, the term generally, it's, so one of the big things people worry about is called ghosting, which they just disappear, right? You pay them and they're gone. Um, I have a, I have a hard and fast rule. I never pay people ahead of time. Um, I have no problem paying them regularly, right? Because they have cash flow issues too. So I run payroll every Tuesday. So I pay my workers weekly or biweekly and they happen on Tuesdays. Um, I pay my project people on Tuesdays. That's the day I run my the business stuff, and um, I don't ever, um, I I don't ever pay them for work not done. Like, hey, if you just pay me, I'll finish it. And my response is, that's great. Just finish it, and I'll pay you, right? Because it's just it's a red flag, and and you know, and, all, and sometimes it has to do with scope creep because they're afraid to ask you, hey, you made a change that should cost more money. Some cultures don't want to do that, so they're they're one way of them to get around that is, well, if you pay me now, then I'll really do the original project and then the rest of the stuff I'll ask you for money later right so it's it, um but I never ever 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 pay ahead of time don't ever do that because um it's a red flag that they're having some issues or they're working two jobs or they're going to leave you or something but it don't ever don't ever do that because um you know and if you're afraid of that piece use a service like Upwork where you escrow the money so and there's ways they can if you if they deliver the work and you don't pay them they can claw back and get it and absolutely do that. It's meant, to, it's meant to protect both of you. Services like Freelancer and Upwork are there to protect both of you. They want to make sure their workers get paid, and we want to make sure that the work gets done. Right? So that's the way to do that. Cool. So those are some good nuggets. I think we have just a few minutes left, so let's do some some fun stuff here. Can it be outsourced? Do you have any examples of just some crazy things that you've outsourced? I got a couple to share here too, but I want to hear from you what you have. So I, I think I have done everything from phone calls to everything administratively you can think of. Um, my first book, I hired an editor. I didn't even know I could hire an editor, right? Um, my next book is all going to be done by, by the entire the entire process is going to be outsourced as an experiment. We'll see how it goes. The weirdest thing we ever did was I had original artwork done. So we had some artwork that we had uh, something that we had an inspiration by for our design business. And um, I don't know, remember what the cost was to change the color. The artist wanted $10,000. The client's like, it's just a poster for the bathroom or something. <laughs> so we went out and got original work done. Um, we went and got original. We got original work done and, and it was inspired by. It was completely different. And I think it was 200 bucks, right? So, and, and that and for that person, it was probably a premium. But for the project we were doing, we got original artwork for $200. I thought that was pretty cool. Right. That's probably, that's probably the most unusual one because you and I come from the tech business, right? So anything technology related, anything graphics related, um, those are relatively easy to get configured, but uh, oh. artwork is probably one. I want to, I love yours because I know one of them. 
Well, yeah. I want to hear another one. If you well, it's one. funny you mentioned art because right now I was actually looking to see if I could hire someone to come decorate the office or remotely do that, send pictures and maybe give me paint colors and where it goes. And I actually gave up on that. I'm sure I could have, but it became a lot more effort than it was worth. So we're just having someone actually come in that's a decorator. So your wife will love to hear that. <laughs> we're supporting an actual decorator. You can. I, I, that's good. Hire someone to hire a pro. That's good. Um uh, caricature, I, I've had that done. So design stuff seems to be interesting. I've had a sign flipper, like print out my logo and spin it all around on the side of a busy highway and God knows what country. Um, but they actually were super talented. And I, we put that on Facebook and got a lot of traction with it. Just because just it was so dumb and out of the ordinary. <laughs> you probably still have you know, that video. A video yeah. Yeah. Is it him him flipping the video stuff? Oh, that's mm-hmm. outstanding. That's yep. outstanding. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so he had to, he had to actually print it out and put it on his sign and you know, I was impressed by that. Uh, Kevin, you got any weird ones that you've tried to or heard of? I know you've just you know scratched the surface. Yeah, no, it, not nothing along that line <laughs> of like I mean no, nothing nothing that weird. I mean I think I know what another thing that you I'm going to, if I guessed, I think I know one that you probably would outsource only because, only because when we have photographed your headshots in the past, you're like walking around with shorts on and a suit top on. I I could see you as the kind of guy who's like, I don't have time to figure out what I can wear and what colors I should match. I could see you outsourcing clothing yeah, or we, purchasing of clothing. We've clearly talked about this. We have. And Brian, Brian's heard it too. So yeah, I, I have outsourced wardrobe choices and, you know, I sent the guy, a picture of myself so he had a general idea of you know what body type he was fitting for and brand preference which i had none because i really don't care price ranges and he assembled multiple looks and links to buy everything now, is, is that something that you just have no interest in i'm i'm hardly no. a fashion plate no. but i i would at least take my wife shopping somewhere and say what would what would you think i should wear and she will tell me because she has to look at me every day i'm surprised that your no. wife didn't have any input in that she was thrilled by it because i was listening to someone about wardrobe. yeah so, no, so yeah true. she probably gave me the advice many times over the past decade but uh no i actually rehired that person again so it's been a couple of years and got a couple more outfits now so we're getting the collection together well, so how many when you're talking about that is it like find me a pair of pants i can wear or did no, you no, is it like 17 shirts and three coats and well you could do that no, in this case, it was looks. So he would mock up on one page, shoes, pants, belt, you know, shirt, coat if appropriate, uh, accessories. I actually want to see that animate. They should animate that. No, and no, then you could be, a, come on, that would be that, great. That costs too much. <laughs> All right, we're, he, we're at time. He, he could outsource it. Exactly. I, yeah, outsource the manager to outsource the wardrobe management. You could. Uh, Brian, if people want to get in contact with you or get the forthcoming book, what's the best way to do so? Um, they can just go to my website, go to briandurkin.com, and there will be a link on the top to get a free copy of the book. And they can just put profit in there, and I'll send them a free copy of the book when it comes out. You want to spell that URL out for them? B-R-Y-A-N-D-U-R-K-I-N, briandurkin.com. All right, Ryan, thank you for being our first remote guest. Uh, coming up next week, this, this is a good one. What to do when crazy enters your company? Tales of employee drama from the dark side. <laughs> Ought to be good. We'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to the Profit 911 Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave your comments. For more information on how Profit 911 Consulting can help grow your service business, visit Profit911.biz.